Thank you for checking out the Mercy Hill Church Sermon Podcast. If you would like to know more about Mercy Hill, you can visit us on the web at mercyhill.cc. If you want to turn with me to Luke chapter 11, Luke chapter 11, this is week, in case you're wondering, this is week number 39 in the series on Luke, and we are almost halfway, so you can expect to be there for a little bit longer. Turn to Luke chapter 11, we're looking at verses 14 through 26. I just want to bring to our attention, just for um, prayer, um, I was just talking to Paul Seamer just a minute ago, and uh, as you know, his wife Ashley is pregnant, and she is due tomorrow, and if she doesn't have the baby tomorrow, they're going to induce her on Tuesday. So we just need to be praying for them as a church this week. Their lives are going to radically change. They're not going to get any sleep for a long time. We need to pray for grace and strength for them this week and for a healthy delivery. All right, let's turn it over to Luke chapter 11, verses 14 through 26. We're going to read that, and then we'll pray. Now he was casting out a demon that was mute. When the demon had gone out, the mute man spoke, and the people marveled. But some of them said he casts out demons by Beelzebul, the prince of demons, while others, to test him, kept seeking from him a sign from heaven. But he, knowing their thoughts, and this is just a key, if whenever it says something about Jesus knowing their thoughts, it's never a good thing for the people whose thoughts are being read, okay? He, knowing their thoughts, said to them, Every kingdom divided against itself is laid waste, and a divided household falls. And if Satan is also divided against himself, how will his kingdom stand? For if you say that I cast out demons by Beelzebul, and if I cast out demons by Beelzebul, by who do your sons cast them out? Therefore, they will be your judges. But if it is by the finger of God that I cast out demons, then... The kingdom of God has come upon you. When a strong man, fully armed, guards his own palace, his goods are safe. But when one stronger than he attacks him and overcomes him, he takes away his armor in which he trusted and divides his spoil. Whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. When the unclean spirit has gone out of a person, it passes through waterless places seeking rest and finding none it says i will return to my house from which i came and when it comes it finds the house swept and put in order then it goes and brings seven other spirits more evil than itself and they enter and dwell there and the last state of that person is worse than the first let's pray Lord, as we approach your word this morning, we ask that you would give us understanding. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you, Lord, that you continue to speak to us, that you continue to direct and lead us and point us back to yourself again. And we pray this morning that you would point us back to Jesus. Help us to understand, to apply. Pray that you would give us soft hearts to receive your word. And Lord, we pray that you would remove distraction from us. 
And Lord, we also want to lift up to you Paul and Ashley these next few days, these next few weeks, these next few years. God, we pray that you would strengthen them. God, we pray for a healthy delivery, for there would be no complications. We pray that you would give them both just a real grace to care for their other children, to care for their baby. And God, we pray that you would be with them right now. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. When we first planted the church, it was a very busy season of our lives. This is about three years ago. And I remember one night when I was sleeping, and as I was sleeping, I had, I had a dream. And in this dream, it was very vivid. And it was like a dark kind of fall night. And in the dream, I was a few houses down from our house. And as I was a few houses down from our home, I had a sudden sense that there was somebody breaking into our home. And realizing that the children were in the house, I began to run back to, my, to the home as fast as I could. But it was one of those dreams where you just, you're not making any progress. You're trying to get back. I knew the kids were in danger. In this dream, I'm running back as fast as I possibly can to get back to protect my children. And it was like it was too late in the dream. And immediately I woke up. And I had this sudden sense of just like fear come over me. And it was the middle of the night and I get out of bed and I, and I run upstairs to where my kids were sleeping. Three kids were sleeping upstairs in a, in a bedroom together. And as I walk into, their, walk into their bedroom, I just had this, this sense of there just being something in the room. And so I begin to, physically, I begin to, and the kids were sound asleep, I begin to pray out loud, call to Jesus, and I, I begin to look under beds and in closets because I was so convinced that there was something in the room that should not be there. And so as I continue to look through the room and begin to pray and just begin to call out to God, I had this thought. This thought came to me, and this is what the thought said. It said, do you really want to put your children in harm's way? And it was as if this planting this church and taking a step of faith and, and really believing that God would use us and this church to, to really take hold, of the, take hold of God's kingdom, this thought came to me said, do you really want to put your children in harm's way because they are going to suffer for the decisions that you are making? They're going to be put in harm's way because you want to go plant a church. Do you really want to do this? And that was, that was it. As I continue to pray and continue to call out to God, I just... The whole next day and I just the, the next week for me, I was just thinking through this. What do I do with this? Do I really want to put my children in harm's way? Do I really want to put my kids in danger because we want to, because I feel like we need to plant a church? Do I really want to put the kids at risk? Now, as we look at verse 14. We see the work of God advancing. We see the kingdom of God advancing. 
Remember what Jesus said when he first stood up to give his first sermon in Luke chapter 4? He said, the Spirit of God is upon me to proclaim good news, to release the captives, to give sight to the blind, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And this is what Jesus is doing in this passage. That section of Scripture in Luke 4 really sets the tone and the pace for the rest of the book of Luke. And here we see Jesus casting out a demon. And this is what we need to be reminded of. That there is always going to be conflict in the work of God. Jesus experiences conflict his entire ministry. Every step of the way for Jesus is paved with conflict. Whether it's demonic, whether it's from the leaders, whether it's just from people, it's always fraught with conflict. Even from nature, there's conflict. And I think for us, it's a good reminder for us that we ourselves will be faced with conflict and opposing forces when we step out in obedience to God. That is always going to be the case. There is always going to be conflict. When we think about this, when we look at Jesus' life, there's, there is constant conflict as he cares for people. This, this, little, this short verse here, usually in the book of Luke, Jesus, Luke usually spends more time talking about the person who is healed and what transpired. And, and, and in this passage, is given one short verse. We don't get the guy's name or who he is or what happened after this. It just basically, Jesus healed the guy, and we spend more time in the reaction of the people in this passage. But here we have Jesus being opposed. And, but I want us to just capture this before we move on. Jesus' care and concern and love for people. Of all the things that Jesus could be doing, here he is. He's taking care and loving and releasing someone from the bondage of, of really the demonic presence in his life. Jesus is caring for this guy, setting him free, allowing him to talk again. So we see this in in verses 15 through 20 now. There is opposition to the work of God. Not only demonic, which the Apostle Paul talks about in Ephesians 6. Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities. We see demonic opposition to the work of God right from Genesis 3 all the way on to Revelation 20. There is demonic opposition to the work of God. But we also see this in this passage. We also see opposition to the work of God from people, right? Jesus heals this guy. There's demonic opposition to the work of God, but yet there's people standing around who are opposing Jesus. And if we look over in Matthew, a cross-reference to this passage, we see that these, these people were Pharisees, religious leaders. They're opposing the work of God. They're opposing Jesus. And they're attributing the work of God in Jesus Christ to Satan. And the reason you're able to do this, because you're working with Satan. And so, Beelzebul was a, another name for a Canaanite god who was what they referred to as Lord of, of, of the home or Lord of the presence or something like that. Not quite sure, but the Jewish people changed that name to Beelzebul instead of Beelzebul, which means Lord of Dung. So it's kind of a a slight on this guy, on this God. But these people are seeking a sign from Jesus. So Jesus cast this demon out, 
and this guy begins to speak, and these people are still seeking a sign as if this wasn't good enough. Like, hey, that was, you know, that was, that was petty. Let's see some real stuff. Still seeking a sign. And Jesus confronts the kind of illogical thinking that's going on at the time. He says, look, a kingdom divided against itself, it cannot stand. Household divided against itself cannot stand. He said, why would Satan undo his own work by doing good to someone? Why would Satan undermine the work of Satan by doing good? It doesn't make any sense. We have to think about this. Sin isn't rational. Sin is not rational in our thinking. Sin clouds our thinking. Sin darkens our, our thoughts. It doesn't allow us to see properly. What, what appears to be good is evil, and what appears to be evil is good, and, and it clouds everything in between. And just recently we've read about various pastors who've, who've fallen, turned, turned away from the Lord. But it's a good reminder for us because when these various pastors originally started in their ministry, not a single one of them would have said, you know what, one day I'm going to cheat on my, on my wife, I'm going to ruin my, my family and my marriage, I want to damage my children, I want to wreck my church, I want to really damage my relationship with God. No one goes into the pastorate thinking that. But somewhere along the line, these subtle thoughts begin to creep in. Maybe it's a second look. Maybe it's looking at things on the internet. And slowly but surely, sin begins to creep in. And sooner or later, the things that we thought, there's no way I would ever do that, we find ourselves doing. It's because sin has clouded our thinking. And in this passage, we see people illogically, it doesn't make any sense, saying to Jesus, the reason you're able to do these wonderful things and cast out demons, perform miracles, it's because you're, on, because you're working with Satan. And now Satan is destroying Satan. It doesn't make any sense. I want to encourage us as a church that sin will cloud our thinking. And if you're at a place where the things that you're doing, at one point, you never thought you'd do, you need to repent. We need to ask for forgiveness cling to God's grace. That's the good news of Jesus Christ. That no matter where we are, no matter what we have done, there is mercy available to us in Jesus Christ. And I wanted this to also be a reminder for us that just because we're walking with God and doing the things that God has asked us to do doesn't mean we won't experience opposition. As we can see from the life of Christ, Sometimes I hear people say to me, if, if you're in the will of God, then things are going to go well. If you're in the will of God, things will be easy. If you're, if, you're, if you're walking in obedience to God, you won't experience any kind of hardship. I want to say if you're walking in obedience to God, all hell is against you. If you're walking in obedience to God, you will experience opposition. If you're following the purposes of God for your life, everything is a transpiring against you just like it did in Jesus but but the promises of God are this that God has promised to never leave us nor forsake us no matter what happens God is faithful and he will stand by his people 
Listen to what the, the Apostle Paul writes in 2 Corinthians. This is, this is the Apostle Paul's experience. 2 Corinthians 11. I'm going to turn there real quick. 2 Corinthians 11, 23 through 28. So this is the great Apostle Paul, church planter, missionary, evangelist, wrote a number of books in the Bible. He says, speaking of other people, is, are they servants of Christ? I'm a better one. I'm talking like a madman with far greater labors, far more imprisonments, with countless beatings and often near death. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews 40 lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. And this was written before the shipwreck at the end of Acts. So four times he was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea. On frequent journeys and danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers and toil and hardship. Through many sleepless nights, in hunger and thirst, often without food and cold and exposure, And apart from other things, there is a daily pressure on me from anxiety from all the churches. Would we expect anything different? Would we expect anything different if we are walking in God's ways? This is reality. This is the school of discipleship. It has been the experience of God's people since the beginning of time, right the way through all the scriptures, and in God's people today. Some of you have taken a stand for what you know to be right at work or in your home or in your marriages or with your children and things have not gone well. It has been hard and difficult going. Don't give up. This is the experience of God's people. God's promise to never leave us nor forsake us. And he also told us it wasn't going to be easy. Because here's the good part. Let's look at verses 20 to 23. That Jesus triumphs over evil. Jesus triumphs over evil, right? Jesus is the strong man. He's the one who's casting out demons. He's the one who's forgiving sins. He's the one calling people to repentance because he has the authority and the power to do so. He has the authority to tell a demon to leave and the demon must leave. He has the authority over darkness. He is the one who attacks Satan and plunders his goods. The kingdom of God doesn't just do good, but it destroys the work of evil. The kingdom of God destroys, is destructive, brings ruin to the kingdom of evil. The Apostle Paul also writes in Colossians 2, he says this about Jesus. He disarmed the rulers and the authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them in him through the cross. That's what Jesus Christ has done in the cross. He has triumphed over sin and Satan. He's defeated Satan for once. Defeated him in his life, in his death, in his resurrection. He has defeated the power of sin and Satan. Now Jesus stands victorious. When he prays in Luke 11 that your kingdom would come. The Lord's prayer, your kingdom come. He's praying that all other kingdoms would come to ruin. That anything that would oppose itself to him would be destroyed. That God's kingdom would come. That no other kingdom would stand. That's our prayer too. His kingdom would come. 
This is our hope. Our hope isn't just escaping the reality of evil, but it's triumphing over it in Jesus Christ in our lives. That's what it is. Jesus is the triumphant king. He's the triumphant ruler. He is a strong man who tears down the kingdom of Satan. I want to just look at verse 23. It says, he goes on to say this. Whoever is not with me is against me, and whoever does not gather with me scatters. Lest we think we can opt out of this. You know what? I'm not the kingdom of darkness. I don't get that. That's bad. But the kingdom of God, it seems like there's too many demands on my life. It's too hard. There's too much work. Jesus said there's no neutral ground for this. You're either a part of God's kingdom or you're part of the kingdom of Satan. There's no neutral ground. There's no middle ground. There's no riding the fence on this one. He says you're either with me or you're against me. We're all on the playing field. Every single one. No one's on the bench. We're all in the game. And he says, look, there's a reality of this. That my kingdom is so radical so pervasive. And there's such a reality of the kingdom of darkness that there is no other area to be in. You're in one or the other. He's really drawing a line in the sand for each one of us. Where are we? Where are we at? Are we following after the things of the Lord? Have we entrusted Jesus with our lives? Have we asked Jesus to forgive us of our sins? Have we put our faith in Jesus Christ? That his death on the cross was for us. And if we haven't, we're not with Jesus Christ in this. We're scattering. We're actually against him. That's reality of what this is. And then he goes on in verse 24 to 26. I've always wondered about this passage. The unclean spirit goes out. So there's a demon occupying a person. The demon gets cast out and goes through desert regions. And this period of history they believe that the the desert area the 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 barren area was a place for for uh, spirits and demons so just like we would probably think of like a haunted house today say all oh, the haunted houses where all those demons are and stuff but for them it was this, the desert region it was a common place they believe evil spirits were but the spirit leaves and he says look i'm going to go back to my house so the spirit leaves, finds no other people, so the demon decides to return to his house. And when he gets back, the house is clean and empty. This person's been able to make some progress. They've cleaned up their life a little bit. They've been able to make sense of some things. The demon's gone. But the demon goes and gets seven more demons, more evil than itself, and they possess the man. And I'm trying to think of a, a clear analogy for this, but but when you think about someone who's been enslaved to addictions, and this person who's been enslaved to addiction gets clean, comes free for a period of time, and it's like they're thinking clearly, they're beginning to understand the, the problems that they've had in the past. Things begin to make sense. They begin to, begin to think in a clear way, begin to speak in a clear way. The darkness has been expelled. But if that addiction comes back, it comes back with a vengeance. That person just doesn't dabble in that addiction a little bit. 
If that person falls back into that addiction, they plunge head first. And it is much worse than it's ever been before for that person. In the same way, this, this, this demon comes back and it finds the house is empty. Fortunate for him that the, the, the house is unoccupied. There's no one else there. It's an empty home. So he goes and gets seven more. And I believe this is a, this is a reminder for us to stay responsive to the work of God in our lives. We had just talked about last week, prayer. And at the very end of this passage in prayer in Luke 11, the beginning verses, Jesus is talking about those who ask God, God will give the gift of the Holy Spirit, which is the gift of Himself filling our lives and filling our hearts and filling us with Himself. When that demon comes back and we're filled with God, there's no room for Him anymore. He cannot come back. He cannot occupy the house. The house isn't swept clean and in order and empty. The house has been filled with God. And I believe for us, this is a reminder for us. Saying, look, that passage on prayer and communing with God and fellowshipping with God and being filled with the Holy Spirit, a reminder of Mary sitting at the feet of Jesus, it's a good reminder for us that when we come to God, we need God to fill our lives. It's not that we just get things in order on the surface. We need God to come and fill our lives, for us to respond to God. Because what he's saying here is someone who has received the blessing of God and the work of God in their lives, but who does not turn to God and not fill their lives with God, they can become callous and exposed. There's trouble ahead. When we receive the blessing and work of God in our lives and we we do not respond to God, he says, you are left exposed and unprotected. And that's what happened to this guy in the story. He was left exposed, unprotected, and the home was empty. The demon came back with seven others. It was far worse for this guy than it's ever been before. The good news for us is this, that Jesus Christ is a victor. And that God has promised to give us the Holy Spirit to those who ask. God has promised to fill us with himself to those who ask. That we would not be left unprotected, exposed. We would not be callous to the work of God in our lives. But that we can be responsive to God's word. We can be responsive to God. We can fellowship and commune with God. Going back to that dream I had three years ago. If Jesus wasn't the victorious God. If God didn't promise that he would never leave us nor forsake us then planning a church would probably have been the worst thing for me to do. Because there's no hope. I'm exposed and unprotected. But because we believe that God has called us to do this, we also believe that God has promised to never leave us nor forsake us. That our hope, it doesn't mean it's easy going, but it does mean it's God's right by our side. That God will never leave us. This is an encouragement for us as a church to stay responsive to God. What is God doing in your life? Where is God speaking to you? Respond to God. Ask for His Holy Spirit. Ask for more of Himself. Some of you need hope. You have stood up for the things of God in your life. At work, at home, in your families, in your marriages, wherever it may be. 
And it has not been easy. It's actually been more difficult for you than it's ever been before. Part of you thinks, you know what? Forget it. If this is the way it's going to be, then maybe this isn't what God wanted me to do. Otherwise, it would be easier. I want to remind you, this is the work of God. You are experiencing opposition to God's work. Stand firm. Stand strong. Rest on God. Trust in God. Commit yourselves to Him. Realize that Jesus is victorious. That Jesus has conquered sin and death and Satan. Jesus has conquered. He is the victorious one. He is the stronger man. He can go in and attack Satan and plunder him and there's nothing he can do about it. I want to leave you with this. There's hope. There's hope in Jesus Christ. We ask for bread and God says, I've got the Holy Spirit for you. We have no idea the goodness and the mercy and the faithfulness of God. Let's pray. God, I pray today that you would help us to be responsive to your word. God, that we would ask for more of your Holy Spirit. God, that we would ask for more of yourself. God, that as we stand experiencing the opposition, I pray that we would not give up. We would put ourselves in your hands. Trust in you with all of our hearts, Lord Jesus. Thank you that you have promised to never leave or forsake your people who are called by your name and are filled with your spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.